So we're in Acts chapter 17. We're going to be starting in verse 10. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. Oh, I remembered my glasses this week. As soon as it was night, the brothers set Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you and we thank you for this honor you give us today to study your word. Lord, sometimes we forget the privilege you give us. The privilege you give us to hold a copy of your word in our hands. Forgive us, Lord. May we proudly hold a copy of the Bible in our hands today. A privilege so many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have. Lord, sometimes we forget that you're watching as we are learning. And Lord, you're watching to see if we are engaged, to see if we are paying attention, to see if we are processing what you had in mind for us to learn on this day in this place. Lord, we pray that you would speak through the preaching today and that you would anoint the ears of everyone in the room to hear what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, let's dig into God's word today. Go ahead. Amen. So here we have the church in Berea. In Thessalonica, the city where Paul had been just before traveling those 40, 45 miles to Berea. In Thessalonica, Paul did his best to meet the Jews where they were at and lead them to a saving knowledge of Christ. But the real influencers in the group were so close-minded that according to Acts 17.4, if you go up a few verses, look at verse 4. It says, some of the Jews were persuaded to follow Christ. But the results are much different in Berea. Just 40 miles difference in distance. But in Berea, when Paul preached the gospel to them, they responded differently. According to Acts 17, verse 12, many of the Jews believed. So here's an important question. If Paul was doing an equally good job of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica as he was in Berea, why was there such a drastic difference in the number of people that got saved? And the answer is revealed to us right there in verse 11. That's the verse where we're going to hang our hat today. It's such a beautiful verse here in the book of Acts. It says simply, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now there are three key phrases in this little verse here. And we're going to look at each of those phrases one by one because each of those is so important to us as we discover how we are to learn God's word together. Because that's one of the most important missions of our church. And as we go into our new adventure as Impact Christian Church, learning God's word. 
is one of the pillars of what we're about. So let's look at that first phrase to start. First phrase is, now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Now what on earth does that mean? I find that if you look at a few different English translations, it helps to process what Luke is saying here. So if you look at the New American Standard, that phrase is translated this way. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. Take a look at the next one. The New King James says it this way. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And I particularly like the New Living Translation. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. So if you read in the NIV, they were of more noble character. Think of they were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. These other translations really help us process what Luke is saying. So the Jews in Berea were more open-minded to Paul's message than were the Jews in Thessalonica. They, don't, they didn't immediately put up a wall like those in Thessalonica did. When Paul was preaching to the Jews in the, Th- in the Thessalonian synagogue, the powers that be in that synagogue basically stuck their fingers in their ears and said, la, 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 I'm not going to listen to what you say, Paul. It doesn't matter how persuasive you are. It doesn't matter how biblically grounded your teaching is. I'm not going to listen. Sometimes we think that if we share the facts of the matter with someone, it will persuade them. Many times we believe if we share the truth with someone, it will persuade them. But how many of you have discovered that some people do not really care about facts and the truth? Some people have been bound to determine from before you said word one, they're going to clog up their ears, they're going to overtalk you, and ignore what you have to say. That's what Paul was dealing with there in Thessalonica. Several years ago, one of our church members was talking to me and said that a Mormon missionary was going to be coming over to his apartment because he had a family member that wanted that Mormon missionary to stop by, and he really didn't want to deal with these Mormon missionaries on his own. So I did what I would offer to do for any of you, as long as the schedule worked, and most of the time it does, I make it work. So, okay, I'll come over to your apartment and talk to them with you. He said, that sounds good. So I went over to his apartment, told me what time they were coming. So I got there a few minutes earlier uh, than the Mormon missionaries were going to show up. And so we're chatting in the family room. All of a sudden, we get the knock on the door. In come the Mormon missionaries. Some of you have heard me share this before because this one is another story I will never forget. And so there we are, and I wanted to listen to what they had to say. And so I allowed them for 20, 30 minutes to to give their spiel, to talk about why Mormonism is so wonderful and why the Church of Jesus Latter-day Saints, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is the way to go. And so I listened politely for at least 20 minutes, probably was closer to a half an hour. And then I spoke up, and I said, you know, I've been a little curious. I really would like to know, what do you think of Jehovah's Witnesses? Both groups are knocking on doors all the time. I was just curious. And so they didn't want to answer that question too much. And then I started talking about the Bible and about Jesus Christ and about the authority of the Scripture in regards to salvation. And I was very calmly and gently and lovingly presenting the truth of the gospel about Jesus Christ and that he is the only way to salvation, not a church. And the guy sitting next to me, the Mormon missionary that was sitting closest to me on the couch, he was probably about 6'4". And he starts turning beet red. And he said, we don't want to get into Bible bashing. Well, I said, that's the last thing I would ever want to do. I love the Word of God. 
I would never bash you. I'm just sharing what I've discovered in God's word. They both stand up and they say to the gentleman, when he's not here, we'll be happy to come back and talk with you. And this tall guy was towering over me at 6'4", turning beet red, and his fist is clenched. And I just had this vision of of hearing this news broadcast, News at 10, Mormon missionary Dex, Christian pastor. Because this man looked like he wanted to clock me one. And I could not understand the fury in this man simply bringing up the truth from God's word. He had determined to do this from the very beginning. I'm more than happy to speak, but I am not willing to listen. Many are like that in this world. Were these Mormon missionaries on that day open-minded? Not at all. They were more like the Thessalonians than they were like the Bereans. That young man on, as a part of that cult on that college campus some 25 years ago, was he open-minded? No. He was closed-minded like the Thessalonians. Friends, sometimes when we are learning God's word, we come across some things that really challenge our way of thinking and living. But we have to be open-minded like the Bereans. Sometimes we learn some things from God's word that hit us right in the gut. And it's uncomfortable. We don't want to hear it. It doesn't jive with the way we've processed things before. But we can't put up walls. We can't stop up our ears. Sometimes God's word challenges us to make different choices than we've been making and establish more godly priorities. Yeah, it hurts, but we have to be open-minded to what God may be saying to us on a particular day. Some of you come to church on a Sunday morning, and maybe it's to see your friends. Maybe it's to eat some good cookies after the service. And maybe any number of reasons. Maybe it's to check off a spiritual box and say, yeah, I went to church this week. Maybe you come to church and you don't come expectantly. But you've got to know that as God's word is preached, he has the authority, he has the right to slap you upside the head with his word, whether you prepared for it or not. And when I'm diving into his word, minding my own business, just trying to prepare a sermon like I'm supposed to, and God decides to slap me upside the head, well, wait a minute, this is for the congregation, God, it's not for me. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, this is for you right now, Dane. The congregation can wait. I need to slap you upside the head right now. God has full permission with his sons and daughters to teach us what he wants to teach us, when he wants to teach us, and how he wants to teach us. We have to have open minds to receive his teaching. Like the Bereans, we need to receive God's word with open minds and open hearts. I don't claim to do this well all the time, but I'm so glad I did it last Wednesday. I shared this at the Perseverance Conference yesterday, and it was just such a blessing. I went out last Wednesday. We're having these impact ministry nights. In the last couple weeks, I've taken a group out to what I like to call Donut Run Evangelism. We take a stack of those invitation cards that we have in the lobby for you, the ones that look like this, the larger ones, and we go out with a few hundred of these, and we leave about 15 or 20 on the countertop of donut shops around town, uh, Circle K's other little mom-and-pop shops around town, and these are wonderful to leave on a counter. So we go, and since we're leaving it at a donut shop, we might as well eat a donut while we're there, right? And so we were doing donut run evangelism. I was doing it with a couple of the greatest teenagers in the world that are part of our youth group here at the church. And we were about to finish up. We were at a little strip mall on the corner of Village Drive in Mojave, not a particularly great neighborhood there by the freeway there on Mojave. 
And we're at the strip mall, and we put some on the countertops. I was walking back to my car, and all of a sudden I see a guy walking across the parking lot, and it was pretty clear he was a gangbanger. He was all tatted up, had tats on his face beside his eye. It was pretty clear this guy's had some serious gang activity in the past. But I felt like God was putting on my heart, invite the guy to church. So one of those moments, okay, God. So I turned to the guy, and I says, hey, I've got a new church starting up the street. would like to invite you. The guy turns. He looks at me, and I couldn't believe what he said. He turns, and he looks at me, and he says, Pastor Dane, I'm just blown away. I have no idea who this guy is. He begins to tell me he's a part of Victory Outreach. And like six years ago when Victory Outreach was renting this building from us, I guess he met me back then. And so he introduces himself again, and he starts preaching at me. I'm standing there in this parking lot talking to this gangbanger guy, and he's preaching to me. I tell him our story about how we've been here for 25 years uh, here on the airport and how we're moving to this brand-new school, and he begins to preach. He says, you know what? You guys are like you guys are like Elijah. Come again? Yeah, you're like Elijah. How are we like Elijah? Well, you're like Elijah because, you remember, Elijah, God sent him to a brook where there was lots of water he could drink when there was a a drought in the land. But then after a while, the the brook dried up, so God sent him somewhere else where there's water. You guys are like Elijah because you're out there on that old air base. It's all dried up, but God is sending you to where there's life. And I thought, whoa. And I told him, you just gave me my sermon for this conference I'm speaking at on Saturday. And that's the message I shared yesterday. I am so thankful that despite the fact that at many times in my life, even with some of you, I have been hard-headed. Some of you could say amen to that. You didn't have to. I said you could. I've been hard-headed so often in my life, but I'm so thankful that I had an open mind and open heart to what this gangbanger guy wanted to share with me because I'd been struggling with that message that day of what to share at that conference on Saturday. And God gave it to me because my ears were open. And he will do the same for you. We have to have open minds and open hearts. Now, when I think of being open-minded and having an open-minded approach to studying God's Word, I think of having both of our brains engaged. Yes, you heard that right. Did you know you have two brains? You could actually make the case that you have three brains if you count the cerebellum as a different part, but that's for another day. You have two brains. But we won't get into that as much as we should, but we'll at least scratch the surface today. Let me share with you what I believe to be the example of the Bereans of learning God's Word with both brains. Let's put that up on the screen. We've got that brain there. Now, we've got the left side of the brain, largely responsible for logic, rational thinking, and the right side of the brain, turn the lights off, it looks better. Grab the lights back there. Thanks, DJ. So let me ask you, right side of the brain, love, freedom, passion, poetry, music. What side of the brain looks like it's having more fun? The right side of the brain, that's where the party's at, right? So God has given us these two sides of our brain that have very different functions. And if you want something just kind of to burn into your memory as to how to remember which is which, put up that next slide real fast. Albert Einstein communicates nicely the left and right side of the brains, doesn't he? 
Normally when we have the Einstein photo, we've got the one of him looking all boring and all logical and rational, but uh, the guy had a right side as well. If you look at that left side of the brain, I mentioned a few things that are particularly important on that side. That side of the brain is the analytical side, logic, reason, strategy, math, science. They're all centered in the left side of the brain. So if you hate math and you hate science and you hate logic, you're probably not a big fan of the left side. Okay? How many of you are not a fan of the left side? You're all living in the right side. Okay? A few of you. So if you're all about the right side of the brain, just go ahead and take out your cell phones and just take a hammer to them and don't use electricity and don't drive a car home today. Because none of those things would exist if it weren't for the left side of the brain. In fact, if it weren't for the left side of the brain, we'd probably all be dead. Because there needs to be some logical, rational, mechanical thinking in order to enjoy what we enjoy in life. But then there's that right side of the brain. Without that right side, life would not be any fun at all. And we'd probably be dead if we didn't have this side. The right side is the creative side of the brain. Emotion and intuition and music and poetry and freedom and love are all centered in the right side of the brain. Well, what on earth does this have to do with the Bereans? Well, the Bereans' open-mindedness to the teaching of God's Word involved both sides of their brains. And I believe you can see it right here in verse 11. They were more open-minded. I want to suggest to you when it says open-minded, it means that both sides were firing. Let's start, first of all, with the right side, their right brain learning. It says the Bereans were more open-minded than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with what? Great eagerness. That's right side of the brain Bible study going on right there. That's right side learning going on right there. The New King James says it this way, they received the word with all readiness. The New Living Translation says they listened eagerly to Paul's message. The message says the Jews received Paul's message with enthusiasm. So did you catch those descriptive words? Great eagerness, readiness, enthusiasm. That is right-brained Bible study going on. There in the Berean synagogue, when Paul opened the Old Testament scrolls and began to explain the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Bereans were open-minded to Paul's teaching. But it was so much more than that. These Bereans listened eagerly. Each time Paul taught that they were ready to hear what he had to teach. They learned with bated breath, eager to learn more, eager to learn uh, what new things might be out there that they had not discovered before. They wanted to receive that fresh revelation of God's Word. They were excited to learn God's Word. They were excited to open their Bibles and see what God had to teach them that they had somehow missed before. They had enthusiasm. So let me ask you, how eager and enthusiastic are you to learn God's Word? How eager and enthusiastic are you to learn God's Word? How much enthusiasm do you have each Sunday morning when God's Word is being taught? How ready are you to listen, to be challenged, to be changed by God's Word? And on the other six days of the week, how eager are you to open God's Word on your own and read it and learn it on your own? If you and I are only going through the motions of listening, and if you and I have very little enthusiasm for learning God's Word, then the teaching 
on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study or in a small group devotion will have minimal effect. I promise you, God's word can transform your life, but it will not do it unless you come to his word eagerly, expectantly, with some enthusiasm, saying, God, I am ready to learn what you want to teach me today. And I am convinced that Christians around our country, when they're stagnant in their faith and they're not learning God's word and growing in God's word, many times it may be due to the fact that the pastor's not doing his job in teaching as he should teach. But so often it's not the pastor's fault. In many churches across America, the issue is those sitting out to receive the teaching are receiving it like this, and they are receiving it like this. We're making a big move in two weeks, and I want you to know that the sermon that is preached on a Sunday morning is much more of a dialogue than you may have ever realized before. Do you know that a sermon is a dialogue? We tend to think, no, the sermon's a monologue. The pastor gets up there, he does all the talking, and I'm just supposed to sit there quietly and politely. That's my job. And if I do that, if I sit quietly and politely, at the end of the day I can check off that imaginary box that says, God, I went to church, I did what I'm supposed to do. But you know the sermon is actually a dialogue? The sermon is a dialogue. Did you know the sermon's a dialogue? I'm telling you, when I look out on a Sunday morning, when any pastor looks out on a Sunday morning, your response to the teaching of the Word affects his preaching more than you may have ever realized. There's so many times when I prepare something ahead of time, and man, that's good, and I throw it out there, and the response is, And if the pastor gets a response like, the tendency is to say, well, God, maybe I botched it up, and this is going on in the pastor's head, and maybe I messed up, so I better say it again. And so I say it again, and the response is, and you look at it, and sometimes it's a, and you look at it sometimes, and the Bible's closed. That affects the preaching of the Word. So here's why this is so important. It's not just important for you. Did you realize that when people come into a church on a Sunday morning, they're not just looking at the guy on the stage, but they're looking at you. And so when people come to check out Impact Christian Church, they're going to be asking themselves, hmm, I wonder if that pastor up there really believes what he's saying. And I wonder if he's really excited about what he is saying. So one of my jobs is to make it clear I believe this stuff that I'm preaching on a Sunday morning with all my heart. And as I preach God's word, I better be enthusiastic and excited about it because I believe it is a sin for me to bore people with the word of God because the word of God is not boring. But as people are looking up at me to see, does he believe this stuff and is he excited about this stuff, they will be looking at you too. If the pastor says, take out your Bibles, and the full front row does this, They're going to say, well, I I guess I really don't have to either. If the pastor is saying, this is the best stuff I've ever learned, this is so exciting, God's word, but people halfway back are doing this, they're going to think it's not that exciting for me. 
the pastor's just doing what pastors are supposed to do, pretending to be excited, and my job is just to sit politely and listen. Do you know that this word is going to transform the city of Victorville? And on occasion, I'll mention that there's a lot of health and wealth preaching going on that distorts the word of God. I alluded to a few cults earlier that are distorting the word of God. There are plenty of churches there that are watering down the word of God. We are a church that preaches God's word when it feels good and even when it hurts. And the city of Victorville needs to hear that. But what the city of Victorville also needs to hear are some amens in the crowd when God's word's getting good. And the city of Victorville does not just need to see a pastor that's up on the stage being excited about it because that's just what pastors are supposed to do. The city of Victorville needs to see a church that has the word of God in hand and is learning God's word and coming expectantly. And the same goes for worship. The people of Victorville are not just looking at who's on stage and seeing if our praise team believes this stuff if they're excited about this stuff, they're looking at at you. Are you singing along with these songs? Are you excited about the lyrics in these songs? Are you worshiping as well? I tell you, the worship that goes on in the crowd can be so much more powerful than the worship that goes on on the stage. When the congregation is engaged and we're loving on Jesus and we're excited about Jesus and we're excited about His Word, and like those Bereans, man, we're diving in enthusiastic, excited about his word, it can be absolutely transformational for a church and for those that are coming just to check things out. That's right brain learning, having some enthusiasm and excitement about the word of God. But the Bereans didn't just engage their right brains. Notice in that verse, they engaged their left brains as well. It says once again in verse 11, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The New King James says it this way, they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. The message says they met with him daily examining the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. The truth is you and I can run off on all sorts of theological rabbit trails all sorts of tangents if we are not practicing and prioritizing this critical step. James 3.1 is a verse I mention every once in a while. That's a verse that haunts me. It says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you who teach will be judged more strictly. And I've known that for the last 20 years as I've stood before you. I know that God is going to hold me to a higher standard because I'm somehow looked at as an authority on God's word. And so I better make sure that what I share with you is gospel truth. But the word of God, I believe, is equally clear that those who receive the teaching must do their due diligence to make sure what the pastor is preaching lines up with the word of God. It's my job to teach God's word faithfully, but it is not okay for you to just take what I say at face value. It is your job to dig into God's word and make sure that what I am teaching, what Pastor Joe Grana is teaching, uh, what Patrick or, or what our Sunday school teachers are teaching, what any of us are teaching, and it's your job to test it with Scripture. Yes, you receive it with an open mind. Yes, you receive it with excitement and enthusiasm, but you quickly start turning your pages to make sure what we're saying is true. 
I had one of our members come up a couple weeks ago and say, you know, Dan, you said that Antioch was 300 miles from Jerusalem. I think you were thinking of the wrong, wrong Antioch. Okay? Was that a theologically earth-shattering mistake that I may have made there? No. But I take very seriously what I share. So what did I do that week? I went and researched it again, and I was ready to do a retraction the next week if it was incorrect. I found out I was right. No. But I double-checked. And there's times I say things, and many of you who have been a part of this church for a long time know there have been times where I'll, I will do a retraction the following week. Even if it's not something earth-shattering, if it's a mistake in what I've said, by all means, I want to make it accurate. Thank you for testing what I preach against the Word of God. That's your job. When I'm doing my job and preaching faithfully, and you're doing your job, and you're testing what I say with the Word of God, that makes it for some powerful learning in the church of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Cults keep their members ignorant of God's truth, but Christ's church urges its members to learn the truth and confirm the truth and be set free from the enslavement of false teaching. I love how John Stott, a well-known and respected Bible scholar from the 20th century, he wrote this about this element of the church testing the pastor's teaching. He wrote, A characteristic of the true religion is that it presents itself to be examined and its claims to be so decided upon. Thus Paul's arguments and his hearer's studies went hand in hand. Isn't that good? Paul's arguments and his hearer's studies went hand in hand. Pastor Dane's preaching and your studies go... Amen. Here at FCC, we have a dozen or so teachers who teach the kids, who teach our teens, who teach our adults on a regular basis... And our teachers' solid biblical study before they teach, and your biblical study while they teach and after they teach, definitely go hand in hand. So, as we launch Impact Christian Church, we'll be in that building in two weeks. The official grand opening is in just four weeks. As we make this launch, I'm pretty excited about these new opportunities we're going to have. As we've talked about in recent months, we have this simple three-step mission as a church. Number one is to love. Number two is to learn. And number three is to love, learn, and serve. That's what God is calling us to do. And today's message, we focused in on that second, the one, learn. And so this learn, I just want to spend a couple more moments on it before we close off. Learn is something that is going to become Such a focus for us, especially in the new year. As we launch our church on October 6th, we're going to have all hands on deck focused on Sunday mornings. And remember that the primary focus of a Sunday morning is love. We are loving God with all our hearts through the worship, through the communion, through the ways that we serve people as they're coming in from the community. I'm so excited about the fourth Sunday in October. That's going to be the first of our fourth Sunday baptism services, and I fully expect that that fourth Sunday in October, we're going to have more baptisms on that day than we've had in all of 2019 here at FCC. It's going to be a great day. And so we're focused on loving God and loving people on a Sunday morning. That's our tunnel vision for the first three months. But in January, we plan to be launching our midweek small group Bible studies. We're calling them impact groups. And that's where we're going to especially focus in on that second part of our mission, to learn. So on Sunday mornings, yes, I will continue to teach God's Word. Yes, I'll continue to share the Gospel. 
But if you really want to dig into God's word, you will not get enough from my sermons on a Sunday morning. To dig into God's word and really grow in your faith and grow in your understanding of God's word, it takes more than 30 or 40 minutes in one sermon once a week. And so in January, we'll be launching our impact groups. And the primary purpose of the small impact groups is to learn God's word. We're going to be learning God's word in a group of 8 to 12 in a small group Bible study, meeting at different homes in the community. If God puts that on your heart to host a small group Bible study, if God puts that on your heart to lead or facilitate a study, please let Amber know at the table back there. We'd love to talk to you more about that. That has to be a priority because as we lead people to, church, to Christ by loving them on a Sunday morning, by introducing them to Christ, helping them to begin their own love relationship with Christ, it's critical that we disciple them. And it's critical for us, even those of us who have been Christians for many years, to continue growing in our faith. There will be three parts of that learning in those impact groups. Number one, we'll learn God's Word. Number two, we'll be learning accountability. I cannot provide you with very much accountability on a Sunday morning. That takes a small group where you can hold other Christians accountable and they can help hold you accountable for growing in your faith. And the third, we're going to be learning how to lovingly respond to others' needs in that small group of 8 to 12. We're going to learn God's Word. We're going to learn accountability. We're going to learn how to respond to others' needs and allow them, as we lean on them, to respond to our needs. That's critical. When you have an emergency, you can go to that small group and get prayed for immediately. When you need a hospital visit, you can go to that small group and be prayed for immediately. God will grow our church in numbers. And as we get bigger, it's going to be a little bit harder for our staff and our team of deacons to be quickly responsive to the needs of the congregation. But a small group is a lifesaver in that regard. They can be there to encourage, to support, to hold you accountable, and to lift you up in your needs as you're there to lift them up in their time of need. Learning is going to be that second element of our mission. And it's going to be critical as we love God and love people. As we add to that this Berean type of learning where we have open minds and we learn God's Word with enthusiasm and excitement and we test what is said with Scripture as we engage both sides of our brain, as we grow in our faith and, and grow into the image of Jesus Christ, God will equip us and set us free to serve Him in greater ways than ever before, making a greater impact in our community than ever before. I hope that as we come down the home stretch in this building and begin our new adventure in that new building, that God will engage us to serve Him, to love Him, to grow in Him more than ever before. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. And Lord, I am sorry for the times I crack open Your Word in my devotion times and I might read a chapter but my mind has been drifting and I can't even remember what I read. Lord, help our, our brains to be fully open and engaged when we're reading your word in our own quiet devotion times. Help our brains to be open and fully engaged, Lord, when we're hearing the teaching of your word on a Sunday morning or in a small group Bible study. 
Lord, help us to be engaged. Help us to love you, to love people, to learn your word, to learn accountability, to learn how to lean on others and allow them to lean on us. And help us to serve you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.